Now for our second message to be brought to us by Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, The Third Commandment. Good afternoon, everyone. I saw a quote <clears throat> on a website, and I don't know who said it, but uh, it goes uh, something like this. It says that attending church every Sunday does not make you a Christian. How you live your life Outside of the walls and off the pews tell the whole story. So we then see that Christianity is a lifestyle. And a lifestyle is the way or the manner in which a person lives his or her life. How they conduct, conduct their life. Some in a good way, some in a bad way. Some in a way that is uh, ruinous to their life. and Some to, that leads to a uh, blessing. We know that... Lifestyles can be according to the teachings of Jesus Christ or to a worldly, secular way of life, not in a manner that conforms to Christianity. When we see or hear of crimes and violence in our society today, the shootings, the stabbings, the beatings, and so on happening that we hear on the news in the world around us, even here in this city, or this town, or the town that we live in, it can give us cause for concern. And when other nations see this, what do they think? So we ask ourselves, why? What's going on? What's the world coming to? Or what's wrong with people? What is the cause? In Romans chapter 2, Turn to this right here. Have this little ribbon. There it is. Barely sticking out. In Romans chapter 2. It says. You therefore which teach another. This is verse 21. Teach you not yourself. You that preach. A man should not steal. Do you steal? You that say a man. Should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? And you that make your boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonor you God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So we see that the Apostle Paul, he faced a challenge to the religious leaders of his time to look at themselves. Up in verse 17 of Romans, if you happen to have your Bible open, Romans 17, it says, Behold, you are called a Jew, and rest in the law, and make your boast of God. You know his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Now, you say you are godly people, and are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. 
those who are blind would be referring to those people or to those nations or to, uh, to those that might be unchurched and not know or are knowledgeable in the laws of God. But they should be producing a corresponding lifestyle or manner of life, but it, they were inconsistent with the way they were living. And so one wonders especially when you, uh, you read these scriptures, not only would it apply to someone who is in the pulpit here or someone who is just perhaps uh, talking to someone else about the law, about what they believe in, about the Bible and things of that sort, that if you uh, say, you know, don't steal, but you yourself steal, you know, it, it is not consistent with the manner of life that a person should be living in a Christian way. In April of this year, church attendance was found to be at an all-time low. And you look around at our society today, it really doesn't look that way. Uh, church buildings, you see church buildings everywhere. You see new churches that are going up. There are ministries of all sorts and hundreds of denominations and religious groups. And people go to church every Sunday and it seems that when you go by a Sunday-keeping church that, you know, there are a lot of cars in the parking lot. And you can almost tell, you know, how many people are there. And then when it comes time that church is over, just like the church up the street here, uh, they have uh, traffic directors who must, you know, let the cars in and out. So, you know, there's a lot of people that, that do keep a Sunday and go to church, which is, you know, you're learning about the Word of God. The, the Word of God is converting to the soul. There are scriptures in there, there are verses in there, there are thoughts and attitudes in there that one can pick up and it can become a part of their lifestyle. In Arizona, a state senator said church attendance should be mandatory. Instead of debating a gun bill, she said, she said there should be a bill legally requiring church attendance on Sunday at a church of their choice. And she said that America is in need of a moral rebirth and that the country is headed in the wrong direction to which I think most of us would agree. So going to church, of course, would be taking the right direction. But still, one must use caution because Jesus said, Beware lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Deliverer, the one who is come. And he said that many false prophets have gone out into the world and shall deceive many. Not a few, but many. But to legislate church attendance on a Sunday, for us, it would be out of the question. But what the senator said was just an opinion, not some legislation that is being written into law. Or we, uh, you know, we could go to a, a Sunday keeping church and listen to the preaching and things of that sort. I had, uh, I forgot to bring it today, but I had this plaque at the, at the house and, and uh, this was uh, in England. Uh, they had, you know, the, uh, the religious officers and there were these two men, they were uh, out golfing. And this was back in the 1700s. They were out golfing. 
And in the background, there was approaching two of these religious leaders who, you know, caught them uh, not going to church. So you can imagine what legislation would do if we didn't show up at church, if that were really to become some sort of mandatory, mandatory requirement. But it is believed by many that true Christians go to church on Sunday or every, uh, you know, like the Catholics, they, they require uh, going to church. And we do know of some churches that, you know, even in our group, that you've got to be there. There's a scripture you're familiar with that says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much as you see the day coming. And as I read about these, uh, uh, like the Catholic Church, that requires church attendance, I read that there were some who do not go really to hear the, uh, the homily, the, uh, the, the teaching or the religious talk or the sermon, which sometimes they view as tedious or, or moralizing talk. And they go because they believe in God and that it is the right thing to, to do. According to a survey, 28% of Americans never attend church or the synagogue. 22% of Americans attend every week, and of this, some almost every week, and some uh, maybe once a month, and some seldom. While many may not be dedicated churchgoers, another survey, a research department uh, called Statisa, uh, reported that 79% of people believe in God. So, you know, that's the main thing. When you go to church, you, you believe in God. No matter if it's a Sabbath-keeping church or a Baptist or a Methodist, people go because they believe in God. Nevertheless, 11% do not believe in God, and that 10% are not sure. So, there is good in church attendance. You learn things about heaven, you learn things about hell, about death and the resurrection, the purpose of creation, and what's in store for the future. It gives you a heads up as to what's happening in the world around us and what's going to happen. And sometimes we don't really look too closely at those things because there are a lot of things that you know, we just don't want to really hear about. According to a Pew Research Center survey, 2018-2019, there were 65% who described themselves as Christian. But that was down 12% over the past 10 years. In 2009, 17% described themselves as religiously unaffiliated. That is, a, or atheist or agnostic or really uh, or nothing, which is up to 26% now because there are more people who do not believe in God or go to church like they used to. Now it is also found that 23% of Americans raised as Christians no longer identified with Christianity. They've gone into some other religion or some other belief or some other thing that gives them the kind of spiritual need that they want that they view as you know, suitable to them. And so there are many who have left their beliefs behind. Other things have taken over and the effects on society are felt. So we are now in another decade and in the last two decades church membership is down 70% for, uh, 
this was in 1999. But older Americans are more likely to be members of the churches. But membership has declined among all generational groups over the past 20 years. From traditionalists, those born from 19, uh, in 1945 and before, and to the millennials and who are now adults, born 1980 to 2000, uh, church memberships among them are low, which is a major factor in the overall decline of church membership. But when you think about all those uh, statistics, they're mind-boggling sometimes, and, and they always change. They're never the same. It'll be different hours from now, I suppose. But what of Generation uh, Y, what of Generation Z when they come along? What will, be, what will it be like being a member of a church? Uh, what will it be like then? It may be negative thinking, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Those are dangerous times. And we can look around and see that that's pretty true today. So we know that there is a connection. There can be a connection. There could be a connection between going and not going to church. And that it's going to be difficult to be a Christian or to adhere to the beliefs once uh, taught about God and about Christ. Because verse 2, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They want to do what they want to do. Selfish in their ways. They're covetous, greedy, after things that they can or cannot afford, but always after the next uh, thing. They're boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. You know, even though they might go to church on some Sunday morning, you know, they can't wait to get to the, to the TV set to turn on the professional football games or, or, or go to the stadium. So, there are pleasures that seem to be sometimes more important than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. From such turn away. So don't be taken in by. The lifestyles that we see here. That's uh, shown in scripture. Don't be taken in by. That manner of life. Which you know. It may appear as though it's okay. And, and they're not getting in trouble for it. There's no one checking up on them. And they're getting along pretty well in life. So sometimes it's, you're, uh, we're under the mistaken impression that uh, what they're doing is okay. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. And I wouldn't, you know, venture to include men also. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, the truth as expressed in the Bible. They come across knowledge, but then again, they can only go so far because there's just so much. 
sometimes in being a Christian and knowing what the Bible says and how, how to live that uh, manner of life. Ever learning. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And these were those teachers who fought Moses back in the day. And today, uh, there's such like uh, who, are, who are, you know, twisting uh, the truth and, and challenging the Christian faith. These are also those who make merchandise of God's people, selling their brand of religion to support a rich and famous lifestyle. Some even have, you know, built a, a, a airstrip so that they can land their uh, jets or their jet close to their house. Giant swimming pools, uh, mansions, and so on. In verse 9, it tells us this, though. But they won't get away with all this forever. Someday, it says, their deceit will be well known to everyone, as was the sin of Janus and Jambres. But they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. So it pays to heed how we are living. What is our lifestyle? Is it in accordance with the commandments that God has given us? Verse 10, but you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Verse 11, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So you see all of these afflictions that the Apostle Paul, that just about every Christian at that time, and Christians in our day, come across in their life. But out of them, the Lord delivered me. You know, sometimes when we have a trial or something going on in our life where we wonder where the answer is going to come from, we know that the Lord, this promise, the Lord delivers. It may take a lot of patience. It may take a lot of time. Take a lot of praying and fasting. But the Lord delivers. Verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Jesus Christ shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue you in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. We learn a lot of things by reading the word of God. We also learn a lot of things by uh, members in the church who have been through trials and tribulations who are able to tell us this is what to expect. This is how... Uh, I managed to uh, endure whatever persecution or trial it was. But you continue in those things that are good, those things that we have learned. So the belief that true Christians go to church is a good point. Nevertheless, let's look at Romans chapter 3. I may have gotten these scriptures out of order. I had Matthew chapter 233 earlier. 
that uh, Rick and uh, Brian. I do that quite a bit sometimes. Okay, Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 10. Now, the Apostle Paul is quoting things that he has read, the things that he has learned. He said, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And he, he gets that thought from uh, reading uh, the Psalms, which has reference in that way, and, he, and also as in Isaiah. And he says that there is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. And so you wonder, uh, as I quoted earlier, how some people look around and see all these bad things are, that are happening, and we ask, well, what's the cause? What's going on? Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. And their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we see a cause. There was a time, you know, in our life, of course, that we fit this description. Some of us more so than others. But that was before repentance, and baptism, and the giving of the Holy Spirit that would help change our life and our lifestyle. So 75% of Americans polled, they identified themselves as Christian, down 81.6% in 2001. And we know that the U.S., as it, as it was shown, has the largest Christian population in the world, 176 million, 46% Protestant, 20% Catholic, and then you have uh, others that are Jewish, some messianic or, or other. But today, in the light of all that is going on in our nation and in our world, in our so-called Christian nation, one wonders how the Lord sees this. Isaiah chapter 1. Now this is a message that came to Isaiah in a vision. He saw this during the reign of the kings of Judah. Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And here God showed him what was going to happen to Judah and Jerusalem in the days ahead. Years ago, uh, Carolyn and I lived out in western Oklahoma, in the panhandle of Oklahoma. And uh, it was the first time being close uh, to a church. Uh, actually, the closest church we attended was probably about 80 miles away when we were in college. We went to Ada. But when we moved out to western Oklahoma, the closest church was probably 120 miles, I think. And uh, there were brethren there that took us in. And they had been in the church a, a long time. And I remember uh, this one church lady. When we looked at the word Jerusalem, the, the three letters after the R, we saw USA. And so 
if you want to apply USA, you can do that, I suppose. And that's what we did. Verse 2, here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah was a prophet inspired by God who gave him a vision that he was to uh, tell the people. Hear, O heavens, then give ear, O earth. You know, spread it out everywhere. Oh, uh, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So sometimes when we feel, you know, in, as parents sometimes, our children are not always there. They've gone on their own way. But here is God who looks at all of us as children. Whether we're inside this, this place here or uh, in another church or in a Sunday church, uh, we are his children. I have brought up children and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner and his ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people don't, they don't consider. And no matter what God did, they still didn't care. And today it seems like nothing alarms us or wakes us up to the things that are happening. It's all news that just sort of comes and goes. Verse 4, a sinful nation, calls it a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward, that is, you know, backsliding. And their backs are bent beneath their uh, sin and, and their guilt. But they continue to backslide. They don't know exactly what's causing it. They just have these trials, these troubles. But they continue. Verse 5. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. It's not on straight. And the whole heart faint. Haven't you had enough? God is telling them. Haven't you had enough? What more will you take? Look at yourself. See how your morals are corrupting your manner of life. But I, as we know, we're okay so far. The society, relatively speaking. We're not having to listen to bombs being dropped, bullets firing, the screaming of women and children, the innocents. But we have yet to undergo much more trouble than what we see around us. Now, when we look at this decline in church attendance and membership, we can attribute it to many things. We see that people are on the move. They're seldom in one place for uh, very long. Some come just to check out a church, even as you know, some have, have come here just to see how it is, and then they go on to the next one. Not enough, perhaps, entertainment for them. Some don't like the format, some don't like the, the people or the atmosphere. I know there are some who don't like me. 
I'm glad you sympathize with me. <laughs> no one's ever told me that, but, you know, I just wonder sometimes. Or they don't like the sermons. Some are too long. Some are too short. Some don't like the doctrines. There are all kinds of reasons. Some do not wish to belong. But the point of the sermon is, I want to look at this third commandment. The third commandment. But first, the people were to come to meet the Lord when the, the Ten Commandments were given. And to hear uh, the message. And God came to prove them on that day. To try them through the power of his voice. And the sight and sound of thunder and lightning. At the foot of Mount Sinai. I know some of you pro probably went to the, uh, the plays there in Branson. The Sight and Sound Theater. And you felt the, the sound and the whole side of it. It kind of gave you a little bit of the awesomeness of just the, just the percentage of what these people there at the foot of Mount Sinai experienced on that day. And Moses had told, uh, God had told Moses that the people were to get cleaned up and to get ready to meet the Lord. And then Moses said, you know, don't be afraid. So we can only imagine that scene. But in chapter 19 of Exodus, The Lord said to Moses, you shall set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mountain or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. You know, sometimes when there's an event, maybe like a concert or something, you know, certain streets, certain sections are blocked off and they have those... Uh, those uh, wooden barricades there with the signs on it. You know, you're not supposed to go beyond it. So, God told Moses to tell them to take heed and don't cross to you, uh, into that danger zone. There was a danger zone that he warned the people of. Verse 13, there shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through whether it be beast or man, you know, probably not bullets, of course, but arrows, darts. Man, or uh, whether it be man or beast, it shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mount. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, you just kind of have to get the picture of what these words are describing, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke that is covered with smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. Exodus chapter 20. We see in verse 20 where Moses said unto the people, Fear not, 
for God is come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. He wanted them to see the sight, feel the sound, and take in everything that, was, uh, that they were seeing as part of the awesome power of God so that they would remember that sight and fear. So the giving of the Ten Commandments, they came with a fearsome <clears throat> sight and sound. And, you know, the rest of the chapter, Exodus goes on to describe what sacrifices and altars would be acceptable to God at the place he would choose. But here in the third commandment, we see what is called the Decalogue. It's from the Greek uh, word, Decalogus Biblos, meaning book of the Ten Commandments, the divine law of God. So in our society today, we know that there are tax laws, traffic laws, drug laws, so on and so forth, rules to live by. And many of them rooted in the Ten Commandments. And God is, the word here, God, it, it sounds singular, but it is Elohim, meaning more than one. And we know uh, uh, of God the Father, we know of Christ the Son. Spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord, that is, Yehovah, some say Jehovah, meaning, essentially, the eternal, your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So, none of the people here could see the face or the form of God, but he made known his voice and a demonstration of his power over nature to them. And he began to speak to them powerfully. For he was the same being who delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And he said, the first commandment here, you shall have no other gods before me. That is, things or idols or gods in opposition to him. Don't have it in my presence. Don't have it in my place. And verse 4 you shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So you have to imagine that these commandments were spoken in a very powerful voice that made the people tremble. It just, uh, the sound of it just went through their body. Sometimes when we hear a speech that someone is giving and the words they say and the way they say it sometimes gives us a chill. It gives us an awesome feeling that this would have been magnified millions of times greater, I would say. So, verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands, oh, wait a minute, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and, and keep my commandments. Verse 7, the verse that we will uh, focus on for just a little bit later. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your maidservant, your cattle, or the stranger that is within your gates. So we see the basic guide for the Christian lifestyle, the manner of living. And we read why he created the Sabbath. In six days he made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it, set it apart. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. Verse 13, you shall not kill. That is, don't murder, don't slay. And this is such an important command that, you know, one should not even think that in their heart. Even the same as adultery in uh, verse 14. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You know, don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. Closely related to even the seventh command. You shall not bear false witness. That is, you know, lie. Don't bring lies against uh, anyone. If you, as I say, if you can't say something nice or true, don't say anything. And in uh, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his maidservant. Every, anything that he has, don't covet those. Because when you covet, that just means to desire or lust after something or someone, which can lead to trouble like stealing or adultery. And so in verse 18, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the voice of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. They wanted to get away, out of reach, out, uh, far away from it, trembling. And they said to Moses, you speak with us. We will hear you, but let not God speak, up, speak uh, to us, lest we die. So there was such authority in the sight and sound. In the eternal God's voice that just sent shivers deep into their hearts and their soul that just shook them, I guess, almost to making their hearts stop. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. And so what would it take for us to hear God's voice you know, we hear it in a still, soft way, especially when we read the scriptures. It's not a booming voice or anything of that sort, but what will it take for us to change our, uh, our lifestyle? And we are changing that lifestyle that we live. But back up to seven, you shall not uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. This word that you see where it says take, it uh, is, uh, comes from uh, a root that means to lift, you know, to take, to carry. And it can be used in a variety of applications, uh, which is both literal and figurative. So it can mean in the King James Version to advance. They shall not advance the name of the Lord in vain, or accept, or bear or bring, or exalt, or hold up, or lift, or magnify, or raise up, or take away, or wear, 
among others. So when you take the name of the Lord, you wear it. When you become a Christian, you wear it. You wear the name. You wear the dignity. You wear the honor, the authority of God. So it also makes sense that this commandment may be stated like this. You shall not, any one of those words, you shall not advance uh, the name, which means advancing his name or his honor, his authority and renown in a meaningless way. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 4, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, meaning uh, his character or authority, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So this could be in a literal sense of someone saying, I'm Jesus Christ, but we know whoever, whoever heard that and have read the Bible and know a little bit about uh, what's to come, you know, to them that would be a, a, a red flag immediately. So when we say we're a Christian, we say we believe in God. When we go to church, we say we keep the Sabbath, or as some would say, we keep Sunday. We say we believe that Jesus is Lord, but Jesus says, uh, say, Lord, Lord, but why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? And when we say we keep his commandments, we say we love the Lord. But Christ said, if you love me, Keep the commandments. So is our lifestyle. Our manner of life. That of a Christian. Essentially. Claiming to be a Christian. But in our conduct. Uh, does it conform. And we're not perfect. We slip up now and then. We're not as uh, Christian as we should be. And we sometimes. At the moment. Might step out of line. But at the moment. It doesn't occur to us until later we think about it and realize it. So, we're not perfect. A Christian has a lot to live up to. But, we're not to take the name of the Lord in a meaningless way. But it is a fact that a Christian can go astray. He can take the name of the Lord, their God in vain, when they act in discord with the teachings and commandments of the Lord. And we see this. You know. I won't read it. But in Galatians chapter 6. Where it says. That if a man be overtaken in a fault. You which are spiritual. Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself. Lest you also. Be tempted. So you know. If a man or a person. Is overcome by some sin. Those who are spiritual. Those who are wise. In the word of truth should help one to recover. But to do it in a meek and humble way, I mean, you don't just go up and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. That person has got to want someone's advice. And you don't do it in a shouting or bellowing in a self-righteous manner, telling them how wrong they are. Because we should remember that the next time it may be us who are overtaken and are wrong and need to be restored and calmly corrected. Verse 2 it says bear one another's burdens so fulfill the law of Christ. And if a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing he deceives himself. Verse 6 let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. 
be not deceived, God is not mocked. Let's go to uh, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So being a Christian just means letting the word of God shape your lifestyle by not taking the name of the Lord in vain in an empty, meaningless way. And we learn from the word of God through fellowship also and the Christian culture that we experience from uh, Sabbath to Sabbath. Psalm 51. Against you, David said, Thee only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak, and be clear when you judge. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But you desire truth in the inward parts. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted unto you. Again Exodus 27 it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we read where Jesus rebuked the scribes, the Pharisees, for hypocrisy. These men were in authority and positions of influence. And we see this fall in politics and in religion and in people. Verse 23 of Matthew, chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise, coming and have omitted the way to your... Matters of the law, the matters of judgment, mercy, faith, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So these religious Pharisees, they were paying their religious dues or obligations down to the smallest detail. 10% of the smallest plants. They were so meticulous in paying tithe that they left off doing the more important matters in their life. That of doing according to God's law of love. Instead, their behavior was in contrast to what religion calls for. They looked good in the eyes of the people when they gave their tithes, but they did not pay that much attention to weightier matters. And he called them blind guides in verse 24. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. It says... Uh, This is the Apostle Paul. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. So we know that there is a prize. That's why we're here. That's why we attend church. That's why we listen uh, to the sermon and read the Bible and pray and do those things that will lead in that direction. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
In this life, you know, he said, we shall have affliction, Jesus said. But here's the advice. Press on for the prize. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, that is mature, be thus minded. See eye to eye. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, like may, maybe disagree over something, God shall reveal even this unto you. We know that the Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. And the Apostle Paul said, brethren, verse 17, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our homeland, therefore is reserved in heaven. He'll change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, a Christian is a person who professes Jesus Christ and his teachings, walking in his footsteps, not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And we see where in Acts 11, 25, 30, they, uh, the disciples were called Christians. And then in, verse, in Acts 26, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. But it was, uh, according to commentators, Christians at that time was a name that just uh, was derogatory toward them. It was a vulgar term which belonged to an unsophisticated group of ordinary people. But the Christians adopted that name and we have that name to us today. 1 Peter 4.16 If any man suffer as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God on this behalf. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, 16 through 17, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 9, 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. You know, that was Christ. He was God sent. But he is not believed to be the Savior. And still in some areas not accepted to this day. Romans 10 verse 11. The scripture says. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Hebrews 11:16. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. And if any man suffer as a Christian. Let me not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. So, we know that a Christian is the temple of God in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And he or she walks according to the commandments. And does not take the name of the Lord in vain. In, Psalm 2, in Revelation 2.29 it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And you can read throughout the various churches and their characteristics, their blessings, and, and some of the things that God is not pleased with. 
In Revelation 21, 7, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. So there's a time coming. There shall come tribulation. Even as there is now in some places, in some areas of the world where Christians live and are suffering in various ways. But Revelation chapter 14, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus.